0: Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of GodPod. And uh, it's me, Graham Tomlin, the uh, usual host of GodPod. And uh, we also have Michael Lloyd. Hi. And this is the point where I normally say we also have Jane Williams, but we don't have Jane Williams at all, actually. In fact, there's a little gap at the table here.
1: There's a a, a Jane Williams-shaped hole in our lives. There is
0: definitely a Jane Williams-shaped So very sadly, Jane is not here. In fact, there's no one else either, so it's actually just Mike and me.
1: Which is the first time we've done a kind of wise
0: <laughs> i think it is a bit isn't it that's right i'm not sure who's who in this <laughs> more common wise thing but um but yeah it is the first time i think we've we've i mean we may have done one or two sort of you know two-person god pods before but it's pretty unusual isn't it it's
1: is very unusual um and uh, we don't we'll quite see. know
0: whether this is going to work we might run out of things to say after about 10 minutes
1: because usually jane comes on with in with something provocative she does and yeah. winds me up and i have to respond <laughs> and so yeah, she keeps us going in way. different ways. So we'll have to yep. sort of
0: somehow see if we can survive this conversation without Jane or um, yeah, make sure we don't come to blows or something like that.
1: Well, indeed you do. She may be the pacifying influence. She may well
0: them. be. Yeah. So Jane, we're missing you, but um, and I'm sure the listeners are too. But anyway, that's what you're stuck with. You're stuck with me and Mike today. Uh, but of course, we do have the biscuits. We have. Uh, we are working our way through a. a a um, selection of all butter biscuits. They're rather nice, aren't they?
1: They are very nice. But the problem is that with only two people, you probably we probably can't eat them during the recording because we may have to chip in or we're full
0: well. Well, we're doing our best. There's not well, many of them left, actually, in the packet, but there no, we go. not very many. Um, well, anyway, today's God Pod, what we thought we would do, is um, one or two people have uh, emailed in or asked questions about a couple of books that uh, Mike and I uh, produced uh, a number of years ago now. Um, which uh, have carried on being um, uh, published into different editions. And uh, sometimes you write a book and it just sort of gets out there for a few years and it gets read by a few people and it just gradually disappears and no one reads it anymore and there aren't any extra editions. And the royalties are diminishing and so we thought
1: we'd give it a bit of a push.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, occasionally you write a book which um, somehow seems to have a a longer life and uh, keeps on kind of recurring in different um, editions and keeps on being read by different people and bought by people. And I suppose the books that um, uh, we have in mind are a book which, Mike, uh, you wrote a number of years ago called Café Theology. That's right. And uh, <coughs> which when was that written?
1: Well, it was written in uh, 2002 okay. to Yeah, but it wasn't published till
0: 2005. Okay. And uh, the book that um, I have in mind is one that I wrote back in, again, was published in 2002 called The Provocative Church a Book on evangelism, so we we write we think about those for a little bit because uh, we've been asked our reflections on writing those books and why they had the impact they had and what are our thoughts about them um, a number of years after their publication. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you a few questions about cafe theology. Fair enough. So, uh, w- w- when you wrote it, where, where did the idea come from? What was the sort of idea behind it when you when you wrote it?
1: Well, I guess it came from the fact that I was um, asked by vicar of a large church in. Uh, London, um, St James the Less in Pimlico, um, to go and be director of training there. Mm. Uh, he felt that <coughs> uh, it was a congregation largely of young people doing their first job in the city, um, and he felt that they were being stretched and developed in every other area of their life, but not really being stretched in, in their faith. Mm. Uh, and so he wanted somebody to come who would who would stretch their understanding, their knowledge, their um, kind of conception of God, really. Uh, hmm. And for some reason, he asked if I would go and help him with that. I guess <laughs> what, what everybody you else doing? said no.
0: What had you been doing before that?
1: Uh, before that, I had been. Um, what had I been doing before that? I've been doing my doctorate. Actually, okay. finishing off
0: my doctorate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And did it come out of a series of talks that you gave so there? the
1: first thing he did when I got there was say, "Will you do a, a school of Christian theology?" Okay. Yeah. Um, so for every every you know, once a week for eight weeks, um, I expanded a different kind of doctrine of the Christian faith.
0: Okay, and, um, that, and, the, and the book basically <coughs> takes the form of a, of a kind of. When um, I, mean, I use the word popular, because I, actually it's, it's quite a not quite popular, a, popular but, enough. Really, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's, not, yeah. <laughs> it's popular in the sense that people have <laughs> bought it, but um, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a, some 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 deep thought that's got into it, but it's uh, an accessible kind of systematic theology isn't it it goes through all the different doctrines of the christian faith it, it, it
1: is uh, it is a popular level systematic theology yes that's yep. right and it's it's 400 pages it's not
0: yeah not it's, slight it's not slim is it no it's not slim well well, enough, unlike afraid.
1: you <laughs> well despite the biscuits best <laughs> despite attempts. the
0: biscuits and um so and the, the title what, what did you call it cafe well, theology well,
1: we we struggled over the title. <clears throat> um, one of my students at St. Stephen's House, uh, where I had been um, at one point, suggested the title um, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About God but Were Too Stupid to Work Out for Yourself. <laughs> um, <which laughs> the the publishers didn't like that for the some publishers, reason, did they? didn't like that. They felt that insulting your potential market was not <laughs> the best way forward. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I suggested uh, Cafe Theology uh, for two reasons, really. One was that it... Is, is the sort of, pitched at the level that you can imagine having a chat with a friend mm. over a cup of coffee in a, in yep. a cafe, uh, it's that kind of conversational level. Yeah. Um, so that's the popular level bit, mm. I guess. But also, um, I had been through, a, a, when I was training for ordination, a period of, of doubt and depression, and part of the doubt really focused on, um, it, I felt that if I was going to be a consistent Christian, I'd have to do... Religious stuff the whole time, Mm. and have to read my Bible and pray and worship and Mm. evangelize, and that would be about all I could justify. Mm. If if if, you know Christianity is the most important thing, then why was I not doing anything else? And yet, that left a whole lot of things that I really value and that make life worthwhile out of the picture, Mm. Uh, like walking in the hills, like listening to music, like going to Mm. cafes with friends, Mm. that sort of thing. Uh, And part of my coming through that period of depression was. Realizing that uh, God was the God of creation Mm. Uh, and that redemption was redemption. It's a buying back of everything that God has made, now in proper relationship with him and with everything else.
0: It wasn't the annulment of creation (coughs) and the kind of um, jettisoning jettisoning of all that God has made, but the remaking of it and the restoring of it. And the enjoyment
1: of it. I've just been reading some Thomas Traherne, and he's big on, you know, mm. th- the enjoyment of what God has given us is, is part of what we're for and part of what it's yep. for. Yep. Um, so it, coming through to that conclusion was, was liberating for me, mm. helped me mm. really get into ministry and, and, and do that. I've yep. been wondering whether I should or not. Mm. Um, and uh, it's, it's, I wanted, therefore, to present theology in a way that showed... Mm. Um, that re- that redemption is redemption not demption yeah that um created god is the god of creation the whole yeah. of creation and and uh so th- a sort of theology that has time for going into yeah. cafes and, and wasting
0: time with sure. friends yeah okay good and, and and did you enjoy writing it was it a fun thing to do did you um what was the experience of I'd, actually writing not, the book? Not especially. No, um, mm.
1: I'm I'm a ridiculous extrovert, and mm. I enjoy company. And of course, <laughs> writing involves shutting yeah. yourself away in the library and um, sitting
0: on your own writing. Sitting on
1: your yeah. own. And uh, I did because I meant to be being part time at St James the Less, and um, had actually been working full time. I built up two years study leave. Yeah. Okay. Um, yep. So I had two years off mm. to write it in, and it took twenty months writing yep. full time. Yeah. Um, and I uh, attached myself to Spurgeon's College. They said, look, come and mm. have meals with us and use the common room and use our library. Yep. Um, so I got some company at lunchtime. Um, otherwise, I sleep <laughs> Feed your away. extrovert side. Uh, to feed my yep. extrovert and, uh,
0: side. I mean, that's, so if you, it was published in 2005. That's right. So that's about 13, 14 years ago now. Yes. Um, I mean, as time has gone on, so you can look back on it now. Is there anything you'd do differently if you were writing it now? Have you um, changed your mind on anything? Is there something you would uh, you'd, you'd 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 do differently if you were writing that book right now?
1: Um, I, I have to say very little, and that shows how, how fossilized my thinking has become <laughs> over the last uh, decade or so. You are so. very old after all, Michael. So, well, that's it. it yeah. was just being hard and reactionary. Um, Not that old. There, there, there are little tweaks I've made, which um, you know. I like to think that scholars in future generations will pore over the differences <laughs> between the first edition and the third edition but they probably won't. Be silly. Um, and I I just been doing preparing the fourth edition and uh, one of the things I had to change was I was talking about how our popular political culture is is um, well culture generally is is not keen on ideology. Hmm. And how all the major parties are kind of moving away from ideology and isms. And then, of course, Jeremy Corbyn comes along, so I have to leave leave that bit bit out. So it's more cultural stuff and and, an updating of that sort. So
0: it's it's in a different context that that you're publishing a fourth edition (laughs) now. Than the first edition when it came out, exactly. and therefore you have to kind of cast it differently to a, to speak to a different audience
1: exactly, but okay. I, I have to confess I haven't changed the whole lot of the theology. i'm yeah. um, I'm sure if I wrote it now, I'd write it differently. Hmm. but I don't think there's anything that I think yeah oh dear
0: and is there, is there a part of it that you enjoy most that you kind of feel is the real heart of the book that in any particular chapter or section of it you think is 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 just particularly you particularly enjoy and and um think is that is the real focus of it all?
1: Um, I think probably the the, the one bit I, I try in, in the book to <coughs> only to expand those bits of Christian theology that would be common to most Christians. Yeah. Um, I kind of like C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity yeah. it, to limit myself to to that, which every Christian would kind of recognize mm-hmm. as being mm-hmm. part of their faith. Um, the one exception I made was chapter two on the fall. Because mm. that's my particular area—the problem of evil yeah. and, and of all—and and
0: you yeah. have a particular take on that, don't you? I have
1: a particular take on it, and I think it's a—it's an area where people don't have a, any take at all, yeah. often, and therefore to offer them a particular take seems yeah. to be helpful. And
0: regular listeners, listeners to God Pod will probably know a little bit about. They your take will on be that. very
1: bored with that already. Yeah. Um, but the the other, and so I enjoyed doing that. But I think the other place I really enjoyed was the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm. Um, mm. Again, I think people know that they ought to believe in it and that it's part of the yeah. faith and they don't quite know what difference it would make. Mm. Um, and actually, sometimes it isn't making enough of yeah. a difference sure. uh, and that people are <coughs> effectively Unitarians mm. who call themselves Christian, rather mm. than mm. fully enjoying what the doctrine of the Trinity yeah.
0: provides. And have you had much response to it over the years? I mean, if people got in touch and told you about how it's affected them and... And what's what's been its reception? Yes, but I've helped pay their
1: therapy bills usually. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yes, out no, of I the mean, royalties that you've had, you know, spent <laughs> back into the, the, the healing they've, process. There's much uh, overspent, really. Mm. Um, yes, I I, I I do still get letters from people saying mm. that, that they've found it helpful, which is which is useful, yeah. uh, which is encouraging.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've, I've often, found, I mean, it's a while since I read it, but I remember reading it and thinking, in some ways, it. it captures a lot of what we do here in, in GodPod, which is trying to provide a, a sort of reasonably accessible um, form of Christian faith, which is sort of rooted in deep thinking about f- faith, but presented in a way that actually makes it possible for people to access, access it and, and kind of put together the, the, the jigsaw that is Christian faith. And I think that's what struck me about the book, I think reading it was, was you know, different chapters on different parts of Christian faith helps you to build up a, the, the big picture of what Christian faith and how these different doctrines of Trinity and incarnation and atonement and the fall and creation, how they all fit together into a coherent whole, <coughs> which is not a sort of, you know, a, a rather over neat system, uh, but actually is a is some is is something much more creative and and you know and and um, alive than that that allows you to uh, to put into words something of the God that we believe in, which is what theology is about.
1: I, I think my experience as I, and I you know, speak around the place, I'm a fairly promiscuous speaker, mm. um, is that people are crying out for depth mm. and they're not, by and large, getting very much. Mm. Mm. Uh, and therefore, one of my hopes was to give people a, a bit of meat mm. <laughs> um, in a form that was easily digestible. Yep. Uh, so, popular level, but... With a degree of uh, depth, with not just telling people things that they'd already have thought of, yep. um, and and hopefully equipping preachers as well. I mean, I like to think yep. uh, on Christmas Eve, you know, the mm. vicars pouring over the chapter on the incarnation. Yeah, sure. Yep. Although, yep. may some may plan ahead more than I do.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I guess it, given what you said about that, the heart, in some ways, the heart of it being. You, you know your main sort of academic work being on the doctrine yes. of the Fall, yep. the brokenness of the world. Um, I mean, did, did you see that as? I mean, as you look at the whole of Christian theology, as you try to put together what you might call a systematic theology, as you kind of did within cafe theology, does that strike you as a as a sort of corner piece to the whole thing? Because there are yes. there are theologies that, that that don't necessarily that kind of <coughs> rather fight shy of. of of the brokenness of of the world and want to emphasize much more the goodness of creation and and the blessedness of of the world and so on and are rather nervous of a a systematic theology that focuses upon sin and brokenness Uh, I I think think that's
1: very true and I think the reason is because of um, Darwin and what what Darwinism in modern biology has discovered uh, that there's been pain killing, suffering, death, disease around long before human beings appeared on the scene and therefore it won't do to blame it all on Adam and Eve yeah. and therefore people have rather ditched the whole doctrine of the fall yeah. now, my view is that that has been catastrophic mm. um, that what has happened is that if you haven't got anything going wrong you don't really need anybody to put it right yeah. very yeah. much so mm. you lose a sense of salvation uh, You, th- if you don't need salvation you don't need a saviour Christology goes um, and the whole thing unravels
0: also pastorally if you can't Talk about a faith that can look at the darkness and the brokenness of life in the in and, and acknowledge the the pain of that. It becomes a rather facile kind of um, hopeful theology that 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 that, um, that lacks that sense of reality about the way the world is. Uh, and also
1: pastorally, I think it's hugely important not to see. God as the instigator of yeah. whatever pain somebody's yeah. going through, yeah. because that makes God the enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and what the doctrine of the fall extended in the way I try and extend it, mm. so that it does cover pre-human suffering and, mm. and natural mm. evil, um, it, it, it's a way of saying it's not of God. It is not what he wants. It yeah. is precisely what happens when people mm. go their own way or creatures go their own way rather than his. It's sure. not yeah. him trying to inflict yeah this stuff upon
0: us yeah and it it strikes me that that is you know the the impact of in in a way 70 years or so since the second world war a period of relative peace within within europe a relative prosperity within europe mm. um we've not always had to confront the darkness of of human action and life in a way that the first half of the 20th century did with two catastrophic world wars that that devastated yep. Yep. Europe, where people were deeply conscious of the evil that we do to one another, and occasionally we become conscious of that. But it, without that background, it can become a little bit more possible to just slightly gloss over that and to and to um to adopt a theology that talks about, about human potential and goodness. And yes, that's all true, but also there's the counter counterbalance to that, which is the kind of thing that you're and and, that's, and that's
1: why I think when you suddenly do get outbreaks of horrendous yep. human behavior mm. mm. um, we don't know what to do yeah we true. don't have to respond. We have a language we, we of don't have a language for to, it to deal with that um, sure. yep. whereas I think if the fall is part of your mental mm. picture mm. Um, you're more expecting yeah of that mm. both in others and yep. worryingly in oneself
0: sure. yeah yeah, that's well, that's fascinating. So, um, you're and am I right in thinking your a uh, new edition is out soon?
1: Um, I, I'm hoping so. Yes, um, I, I think they've been chasing me for um, edits. Very and good. I, I think I've now got the final ed- edits yeah. to them. So, yeah, now hopefully, a new, new edition will be out shortly.
0: Yeah. So, I, I can say just a little bit advert for me. This is it's difficult for Michael to say this, but uh, it is a very good book. It's a very good book on um, if you want an introduction to basic Christian theology, which is deeply thoughtful, but. Accessible. I think there are very few other things that do such a good job as it. It's called Cafe Theology, and um, it's published by
1: uh, it's, Hodder, Hodder's.
0: Okay, so Hodder's yep. do it. So yep. um, I think it's still out there, still in in print. It is, and um, Amazing, so you can buy a yeah. copy now, or you want to hold on till the next edition comes in in due course.
1: Uh, yes <laughs> whichever really i get the, yeah, I think exactly. the same royalty yeah good. <laughs> uh, thank you for that To that uh, yeah. uh, graham i will try and reciprocate in due course Very have a biscuit good. in the meantime <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah but um provocative church yeah um yeah what what lay behind that as you say is a kind of yeah a, a, a reflection on um, evangelism really
0: yeah well it was uh, at the time i was um Teaching at uh, Wycliffe Hall, the college where you are the principal right now. Indeed, yes. Many years ago in Oxford, and um, part of my job was to um, teach students about evangelism and to, to, to lead evangelistic kind of missions, events in parishes, and it got me thinking quite a bit about it. And and it often struck me about how how that word evangelism used to scare people quite a lot or depress people. Yes, that you know, there's that thought that evangelism is something that you could do to people and um would you want to really do this to your friend to evangelize them? It sounds a rather kind of you know threatening exercise and so uh, and it also struck me how churches that um that that prioritize evangelism often could be quite kind of stressful places to be in where it will be like you you were saying that you know if if you think that um, the only thing that's worthwhile is yes. bringing people to Christ, which in one sense you, you know you can make an argument for that, why would you want to do anything else? Mm. You know, why does serving the poor make n- matter? Why does um, pastoral care matter in a congregation? Or if the arts, exactly, or the arts, or music, or um, the enjoyment of anything else? You know, there can be a sense that the only thing that really matters is evangelism. But when I observe that, it often seemed that evangelism done in that way was a very strenuous, quite awkward difficult experience that some people seem to be quite good at, but most of us weren't. And so it struck me in a lot of churches that valued evangelism, a lot of people actually felt quite guilty about it because they weren't doing it, or if they weren't doing (coughs) it, they weren't doing it very well. And so uh, those were the sort, sort of thoughts that began to make me think about the relationship between evangelism, sharing the Christian faith, and the wider aspect of what the church uh, does and, and and is and so that's, those are some of the thoughts that began to, um, to sort of lead in this direction.
1: So, did something? Were you approached by a publisher, or, yeah. or did you kind of?
0: No, no. I began to um, think about this and um, uh, approached a publisher myself, and yep. it was uh, SPCK who published it eventually. And I guess the basic idea of the book is um, is that uh, it's that that question of. of um, I would often have conversations with, with people, you know, who were, I was trying to share my faith with them. And uh, they just weren't interested. Yep. And, you know, I would try to talk to them about it. And they just didn't really want to know. They wanted to talk about the football or the weather or something yes. else. But they yes. didn't want to talk about God because they had nothing really to – just wasn't something that interested them at all. But then very occasionally you'd have a conversation with someone who had seen something – that had intrigued them about Christian faith. That might have been an experience that they'd had of sort of wonder in nature or they'd met a Christian that had impressed them or they'd encountered a church community that had struck them as being a little bit different from any other community. And they were asking questions and they wanted to know. And it struck me those kind of conversations were a lot more fruitful and a lot Mm -hmm, more helpful mm -hmm, mm -hmm. than the ones where I was trying to kind of bash people with the Bible. Um, And so it got me thinking about... um, that, uh, that that passage in in um, in the Bible in two Peter where uh, where it talks about um, where we are called to, to give an account for the faith that is within us for the hope that we, that is within us and it struck me as I, as I read that you know I'd often heard that 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 um, passage um, always be ready to give an account for the hope that is that is within you um, and uh, what struck me about it is that um, it presumes that someone's asked a question. Someone has gone yes. to the Christian and said, what is this hope that you have? What, what is what is it that motivates you? And what they've noticed. They've noticed something that has made them yeah. ask the question. So I started thinking, well, what is it that stimulates someone to ask that question? Uh-huh. What is it that stimulates the kind of conversations where people are wanting to know about Christian faith rather than feeling they're being bashed over the head with it? And it struck me that so often that was uh, an experience of a Christian or a church that was genuinely provocative, that provoked a question in, their, in mm-hmm. their minds. There was something about the quality of Christian life that they'd encountered in, in a Christian friend, or, or something about the relationships within a church, or the, the the ministry that church does within its local community, or the impact it has upon that local community. That's where often that drew people into um, asking the question, well, why do these people act like this? Why are they this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose a pattern that I notice in the New Testament, you see quite often, there's Acts chapter two where, you know, the, uh, there's this remarkable occurrence where the spirit is poured out on all these people in Jerusalem yes. and they all start speaking in these strange languages that are recognizable to people from all over the diaspora who've come. And um, and then I think it's in, in verse 12 of, of Acts chapter two, uh, the people in the crowd ask Peter and the disciples, what does this mean? Yes. And then Peter yes. pre- preaches his Pentecost sermon on the back of that question, what does this mean? Because they've seen this remarkable event, they've seen this pouring out of the Spirit, this you know ability to speak in different languages, this ability to connect with people, and they're intrigued by it. They're provoked by it. So they ask the question, and then Peter preaches the gospel into that context. And so it was back to that thing: you know, what is it that provokes that question? And I guess my answer was a church that is involved in all kinds of things other than evangelism. Yes this is always evangelism is the last thing it does because actually this is a church where there's uh, patterns of discipleship where people are growing in their personal human lives they're becoming sort of um more rounded more whole and healthy as people it's a church that is involved in its local community and works of compassion and and um uh and and community involvement and and strengthening the environment in which it, they live it's a church that is um you know it's worshiping life is vibrant and alive and, and has a sense of a connection uh, with god uh, and it, a church that has a real sense of belonging where you can feel you can find relationship in a very lonely world and that kind of church provokes a question which leads on to effective evangelism and that
1: then makes evangelism a, a natural thing because it's already yeah. going down a path that people have begun exactly
0: to. that's right and so it seems to me that the key to really effective evangelism is not you know more and more courses on you know what to say, or you know how to.
1: In fact, can't that be counterproductive? Can, yeah. Can't it make us sound formulaic? Exactly.
0: Yeah. If you're just sort of uttering a, a sort of salesman's yeah. patter, yes, it doesn't really It's not really going to impress work. anybody. It's not really. really. No. Exactly. That's right. And, and e- even courses on you know how to answer the standard questions that people bring up about mm. the gospel. You know, how, why does God allow suffering, and you know, what about other religions, and so on. That I mean, that's useful to, to, to a point. But what really needs to happen is, is that we have churches that provoke the question. Hmm. And then actually evangelism becomes a relatively straightforward, just a conversation. It's just, And then you've got things like you know Alpha Courses or Christianity Explored or whatever it might be that, uh, can that you can those. then say, well, if you really want to know, come along to this. Yes. Yes. Um, and so uh, it's that vision of evangelism actually gave a space for everybody in the church. So, you know, if your gift is not evangelism, it's welcoming people and... And uh, you know, as, as people come into church, you're giving them a real sense of, of welcome—if it's actually sort of a, um, y- your passion—is being involved with community involvement, with community whatever, involvement yep. with the, with the poor. Mm-hmm. If your compassion, if your if your uh, passion is the environment and seeing what you can do with the right to make it a better place to live—that's part of the whole picture. It's not yes. that those are lesser activities than <coughs> sharing the gospel verbally.
1: I I remember when I was um, a young Christian at university, being told about evangelism that mm. yeah, we needed to try and twist conversations around yeah. to get mm. t- to talk t- about God mm. and I now look back and think that was almost 180 degrees r- wrong advice yeah. because it's a way of saying I'm not interested in what you're interested in yeah uh here's what I'm interested in yeah which is hardly loving people not at all is it um yeah and and that's kind of a, associated with what you're saying here that it's yeah. got to emerge out of yeah. and not be imposed upon
0: that's right yeah i think that's right i mean I, I you know i would often again similarly when i was a younger christian be told you you make friends with people in, in order, order to, to evangelize them yes. and i suppose the more i thought about that the more i thought that felt like i wasn't really interested in the other person at all i was yep. really interested in sort of numbers yeah in numbers yep. and making myself feel good by making them into christians yep. Well, actually, the, the, the better way is that friendship itself is a good gift from God. And whether or not the person comes to faith or not, the friendship is still worth having. Yes. Now, if I, if, I'm, if I love that person and I'm fond of them, I want to share with them the best things that I have. And yeah. The best thing that I do have is faith in Christ, as, well as it is other things that, that I have. And so that, I, I will want to share my faith with them. But I don't go into the friendship uh, with that solely in mind.
1: Yeah. Now, you, um, you revise this book. Uh, in um,
0: 2014, something like that? Yeah, that's right, 2013, I think it was. I think it was the third edition for it. Um, Yeah, the publishers came and said, you know, we want to do another edition. um, And uh, I I kind of read it again. This is always
1: encouraging. This is is always encouraging. Apart Um, from the extra work.
0: Exactly, yeah. And I I remember reading it again and thinking, oh, a little bit like what you were saying, that as time goes by, you know, the basic argument, I think, was still held to. But just the world felt very different. Mm -hmm. Because, of course... 2002 when i wrote it that was before 9 11. Mm-hmm. um it was at the time where everyone was talking about you know postmodernism, the idea that no one really believes in truth anymore yes. it's all a matter yes. of um you know perspective and so on and i suppose the two things that had changed in that one was 9 11 that yes. had changed yep. the world quite significantly because now people were aware of um, that kind of Islamic fundamentalism, which was a very definitely not a postmodernist, you know, doesn't really matter what you believe type approach. Uh, but the other thing that had changed, of course, was the new atheism. Yes. Because in 2002, Richard Dawkins and the new atheists hadn't really emerged, and um, again, the new atheism is very dogmatic about what's true and what isn't true. Yes. It's a very sort of scientific rationalism in many ways, and uh, it seemed to me the world had changed quite a bit in that decade from 2002 to 2012, and so therefore. You know the the, um, the tone of the book had to be different. It had to address that that kind of revived sort of um, rationalism that had come into being. That sense in in our society. Yes, you do have on the one hand those who say, well, you know, that kind of relativistic postmodern. You know, truth doesn't really matter, but there's, there are certain sexes sections of society that actually now, actually, yes, truth does matter.
1: And and, and science is one of them. it's one of the reasons yeah. why we should be making common cause with science exactly. against yeah. something like relativism, yeah, sure. Um, rather than squabbling yeah. with yeah. with science. Yeah, uh, I mean, the just judicial system is another one. Truth matters yeah, in the justice sure. system. Yeah, um, matters yeah. in journalism. Yeah, uh, and and so you rewrote it. And I did. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and now a few years further on mm. again, mm. Um, but they're not asking you to redo it.
0: Not at the moment, no. I mean, it's still still in, still um, uh, in print and can be bought in all good bookshops. Uh, indeed. <laughs> um, um, I guess it, I mean, one of my reflections on it since then, o- over time, is I wonder how much in that time. I suppose that the book slightly assumes that people come into contact with churches on a regular basis, and um, I sometimes wonder whether you know, as as time goes on the gap between church and culture gets a little bit larger and how many people actually do come into contact with church in such a way that church can be a provocative community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in some ways, I think the book is slightly an argument for a kind of more, I suppose, a bit of a sort of Anglican parish system where the lines between church and community are a bit blurred. Yes. The way people do come into contact with the church through all kinds of different ways. The church is not a, a sort of, uh, you know, an enclosure of the holy it's actually a, a kind of sort of blurred thing where people contact the church through moms and toddlers groups, through schools, through um, other sort of <coughs> civic events that happen locally. And it's a the benefit of that, I think, is that you can have that all that kind of contact uh, with the wider community, where people can come into contact with the church in all kinds of ways, and that makes it possible if the church is, is the kind of place that is provoking those kind of questions, um, and that kind of reaction, uh, you can get this process happening. Whereas if the gap between the church and the community is so so large that no one ever really comes in contact with the church, yes. um, however provocative the church may be, if it doesn't actually provoke anyone because there's no one there to be provoked, then it doesn't really work.
1: And, and the sort of mentality that makes it hive off into a separate watertight community probably means that they're not actually going to be engaging with people and sure. um, their yeah. questions and their lives yeah, and their exactly. interests. And, yeah, uh, it's likely to be a bit inward looking, be,
0: just concerned with its own affairs rather yeah. than actually the life of, real life of people outside church and what really matters to them. And to, to tell me what matters to you rather exactly. than yeah. here's a message
1: I'd l- yeah. like to yeah. give you.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, Mike, it's very interesting to talk well, about and, and cast and our minds back to those two books. Indeed, um, and yeah. I I hope people go out and buy The Provocative Church so yeah if you want to buy Cafe Theology if you want a good introduction to Systematic Theology it's there published by uh, Hodder and um, a book on Evangelism The Provocative Church published by SBCK. and uh, um, well enjoy it if you get to read them indeed Um,
1: and Jane misses out on this publicity uh, for her books um, by not being here so be here next time Jane
0: (laughs) she don't want to miss this so, uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank, thank you, Michael. It's been thank great you very to much. Chat together, and uh, we will no will um, be back again with another Godpod. That was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. I can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.